Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Smashpot. What I saw wasn't human. Oh my god! He was very tall. And what's more, it saw me. This thing. Hello and welcome to a spooky side special of Smirsh. My name is John Rain and I will be your crypt keeper for this special Halloween episode. With it being Halloween, all the usual rules are off the table, sorry about that. So abandon all hope ye who enter here. This week we'll be visiting the spookiest place on earth, Ireland, to run for our lives from Rawhead Rex. And joining me to potentially get weed on is Irishman and therefore possible witness to the carnage, journalist and co-host of the excellent Reducer podcast, Seamus O'Reilly, who can be found on Twitter as Shockproof Beats. Hello, Seamus. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, you? Uh, very, very well. I'm delighted to have finally knocked this one down. This is a, this is a real sort of curate's egg everyone recommended for a long time, so I'm glad I've finally watched it. Yeah, and you, with you being a countryman. Yes, uh, uh, with a rather dispiriting uh, reliability. I, I actually know some of the people in this f- film. Good God. Uh, yes, uh, of which more presently. But yes, I'll I'll be able to just give more general insights as well into what it's like to be Irish and therefore also to have 
have lived experience of about 90% of this film's contents. I'm assuming this film is held in high regard in Ireland. I don't believe I've ever encountered anyone who's seen it. It's like uh, Brigadoon. <laughs> it is, it's, yeah. Or like local hero. Yeah. It's it's the local hero of, of, of Ireland. Um, no, I've never actually heard it being mentioned, except on uh, usually British and American made sort of how you know so bad it's good kind of uh, podcasts and yeah. uh, YouTube scenes and that kind of thing. I've never heard anyone else talk about this. I thought for a while it was only me that had actually seen this film. I do remember seeing it on something like a clip show, like a Torrent on TV style, in bed with my dinner style kind of show mm. where the peeing scene, <coughs> we'll uh, get which, to that, yeah. you've, which you've set up beautifully, which is yeah. the second people are listening to this going, oh, this is good. Or, Barker and um, we. And also, I did have experience with the original source material um, because I'd, I'd, I'd read a version of it. But yeah, the actual movie itself, I mean, I can't imagine it had a particularly wide release. I mean, I don't know if you've got no. those facts and figures in front of you. I haven't. The only reason I know about it is because it was in my local video shop when I was 10 years old. Oh, really? Yeah. As like a little uh, video nasty. Yeah. Uh, like the bargain bin or like properly on the... On the shelf. Right. Yeah, probably not one of the you must watch this films. <laughs> but I remember the cover uh, uh, grabbed me as a child who was obsessed with. I was obsessed with horror films as a kid, particularly creature films. Yeah. And the cover is him, raw, raw head Rex, spoiler alert, jumping out of the mud yeah, um, on a side profile. One thing I saw from a few other. Because uh, I'm nothing if not diligent, so I've done a little bit of research ahead mm. of this. Um, and a lot of the Americans who were talking about it, of a. Of a of a specific vintage, the Americans who would have maybe seen it when it or would have seen about it being when it was released, they also mentioned the fact the cover was very arresting. Yeah. Um, and someone showed me the cover for the they released a Blu ray last year. They did, Arrow did it, yeah. Um, and the cover looks beautiful. I mean, it looks like a Dario Argento movie. Right? Mm. <laughs> it looks, you've yeah. no idea of just how bad it actually Well, the, yeah, the quite often when Arrow release stuff, they get a, they commission an artist to do an alternate cover. Okay. And in this case, the cover is much better than the original. I mean, you've got to imagine, though, that. It speaks perhaps to the quality of their outfit if they are going to Rawhead Rex. I mean, I mean, how long is this uh, run of things that they've got to do? I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but Arrow being nice, what they often do is, and in this case, they have as well. They have a reversible sleeve, so you could have the original cover if you want. Oh, that's very good. Or you could do it like those uh, people who were so embarrassed about reading the Harry Potter's that they have like a, a sort of an adults version of yeah. the covers. Yeah, that was like the most obnoxious thing I thought. Like the. Shades of Grey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like Fifty Shades of Grey, but like it, it has like a seventy ways to business success instead yeah. cover. So a wand can... and a garter belt. <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing. But Rawhead Rex kicks off with a papyrus font. Oh, I did notice that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, which uh, I like to think Jim Cameron saw that and thought noted, amazing, and also. Well, I've got to imagine that was before people probably could identify fonts. On, yeah, on on site. Uh, yeah, it's really. Uh, it was arresting enough that then I paid really close attention to the uh, credits and realised that Clive Barker had actually written the script. Yes, I'd forgotten that as- Which I did not expect. I thought no. this was a looser-than-loose mm. adaptation. Um, it's a short story of his, isn't it? It's a short story in... The Books of Blood? Books of Blood number three, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, About the, a giant willy man. A giant willy man in the south of England. Yeah. A town called Zeal. Yeah. Um, and then they've transplanted it to Rathmorn. Uh, which is a fictional place in Ireland. Um, it could be a real place in Ireland. I don't know every single place in Ireland, but uh, I don't think it is real. Um, also, weirdly, they didn't transplant it to Catholicism, which no. I think would have been a way better fit because of the whole ideas of 
you know, sex and male things. They're probably trying to avoid controversy. Oh, I'm sure they were with this pissing on a on a deacon vibe. Uh, yeah, because there's no such thing as a verger, really. That's a very Anglican thing. And yeah. also the vestments he was wearing were... Um, he didn't have the white collar, though, is that...? Because uh, the verger is, uh, verger is a layperson. Oh. Yeah, so verger is a layperson who is basically... Uh, a muggle. Uh, he's a muggle, yeah. He's, yeah. <laughs> he's someone, Take it back to the Potterverse. He, um... I mean, maybe it is that some of the early textbooks for Verges suggest that you have to uh, literally bathe in the piss of a neo-pagan deity, um, and maybe that there was some cross wires. When it's actually, a heck of an initiation. Yeah, it turned out actually he was completely wrong. You just had to yeah. fill out form fifty six B at your local. I mean, he'd have done office. that. In this. Yeah, he'd been all right now. You know what it's like whenever you're reading a really old co- photocopy of a photocopy of a handout you get, like yeah. for your driving test or something. You skip most of it, don't you? You do, and then all of a sudden you're at the chapter that says, "If all else fails, uh, find ye a pagan uh, demigod." Um, so yeah, the original that is in the actual app, Apple <laughs> terms and conditions that we all skip. Well, that's a good thing about the content design on gov gov uk. Um, you manage to avoid such things because they put it up front and center. You know, if you do not uh, want to be pissed on uh, or otherwise defiled uh, by a pagan demigod. Well, I know for a fact. You know, the dark Dartford Tunnel. You have to pay a toll if you don't pay it within twenty four hours. Rawhead Rex comes to your house and wheezes on your head. That's true. Yeah, mm. I mean, it's good that he's got a sort of bit of a. A uh, side gig because I haven't really heard much about him since this movie, and I thought maybe this was going to be just a- like ET and the Elephant Man. Yeah. He never did another one. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, but we start with an American called Howard Hallenbach. Yes, he's got a tour of Ireland with his family, mm-hmm. who has got two Irish children pretending to be Americans. Oh my God, it's amazing! Because one of them, the, the boy, was later on in a very good film. In my efforts. Oh, I wasn't thinking of that. Oh, yeah. I was thinking of the Young Poisoner's Handbook. Oh, I've not seen the that. The Graham Young oh, Poisoner that, film. Oh, was that the one that was made for Channel 4, the TV? Yes, I think so. Because um, he also played young Christy Brown. He did, you're right. Hugh O'Connor. Um, yeah. And uh, his little sister is mm. Cora Venus Lunny, yeah. who's a very famous, uh, or at least, well, she's not that famous, but she's very good. Uh, is she big in Ireland? Um, well, her father is Donal Lunny, who's in Planksty. So he's a like, right. he's like uh, proper good trad royalty right like bad trad where they you know lads from Lisbon singing about you know the farmlands of Tennessee um, good trad sort of real earthy great stuff and mm-hmm. she is a um, uh, like prodigious violin uh, talent and she's also in a very interesting experimental band called Fovia Hex because oh, there's a feature on the Blu-ray about the kids now oh really is there yeah and Hugh is very much like yeah I'm just doing stuff now but she is presented as this kind of huge star. Yeah, she well, she is, and she's um, she's the sort of person who, if you look up her uh, her uh, work, she'll always be at some achingly cool sort of uh, college campus in America playing sort of you know music. Of, she she played like Womad or like uh, wow. yeah, or like Lilith Fair or something, you know. So um, she's very very good, um, and she's in some really interesting projects. But it is very funny to watch her at this because. There's no reason for her to be in this other than the slightly taciturn and growlsome Donal Lunny of Planksty mm. was maybe being a bit pushy stage dad, which is just a very funny thing to imagine because, or maybe he knew someone involved in the production, but like, it's just a very weird... She's good in this though, I thought. She's good. Well, apart from the fact that neither of them can do an American accent. The, no. He does try at the start. Yeah. Um, also, I was I spent all the time I could have spent, um, there's a bit where he's reading a Secret Wars comic and I looked everywhere to try and find out what issue it was Secret Wars 2 Secret Wars 2 but yeah. it was the Secret Wars 2 had nine issues and none of them seemed to match up with the cover so I, I'm trying to think of maybe it was a ma- one of those magazine editions used was to there a Rawhead Rex special edition I wanted to see if there was some sort of in-joke because I always mm. anytime there's a 
anytime there's a newspaper in a movie mm. uh, I always try and look up you know, from the headline the wire is great for this yes and you look up the headline and you find out the Baltimore Sun on that day and it was like you can see what Davis filmed and this nice. gives me an impotent thrill of sheer pleasure like I've just un something missing from this film in entirety yeah but the, uh, the so Howard is, is in Ireland isn't he is an American actor David Duke David Dukes Dukes sorry yes, who's sadly terrible. now dead as is the wife as well so oh really yes yeah, the so curse of Rawhead Rex <laughs> it's yeah. really strange to think that every single person who's involved in this film will one day die one day yeah it's cursed um, he's um, not bad by the way I, I think he's great in this creditable yeah he has some nice moments which we'll get to but some very funny moments I thought yeah he does especially the how about you go fuck yourself yeah. that always makes me laugh <laughs> Um, yeah, so he's he's like a um, what would we say? He's a kind of historian of historian. the of the neo pagan stuff. His his thesis was actually quite interesting. Something I find very interesting is how mm. all these uh, religious sites, like Christian sites, particularly in uh, Rathbone, uh, <laughs> Rathbone, but uh, in uh, Northern Europe, so UK, Ireland, and Scandinavia, it's, it's very common that they'll be on old pagan sites and. They weren't put up there without an awful lot of struggle and strife and, you know, bloodshed and massacres mm. to turn this one temple of one fella into a temple of Christ. Um, and there's a lot of very good art and sort of uh, uh, literature about how that process happened. So yeah. that's interesting. And sometimes you do f- find that, particularly in Ireland, you'll find uh, churches which still have pagan things. So there's a thing called a shield in a gig, which is a fertility sim- symbol, which the best way of describing it to someone who's never seen one is... It's a very crude fertility object, not unlike one used in this movie, but yeah. even more crude of a lady spreading them and uh, showing her bits and bobs. Um, uh, this shooting the gig is found carved into all manner of churches, rectories, everything, because it was seen as a local thing. Um, and either knowingly or not, it was kind of co-opted. So it's a nice little thing that you see, sort of little pagan bits. Wasn't there uh, a Pogue song called Shooting the Gig? There possibly could have been as well. Yeah, but pretty sure there was. Yeah. There's where my history begins <laughs> and ends. Um, but he's researching items of religious significance. Mm. and uh, But subsequent to him driving past, not subsequent, as well as him driving past, we see three farmers yeah. attempting to remove a massive stone from a field, which looks like a penis. It does. Mm. And also with these three farmers begins something which is very common in these kinds of films. Mm. Uh, whether it is the intent... Uh, or not Uh, there's a long proud tradition of going somewhere that's a local place for local people shall we say and those people being uh, it could be written that these people are suffused with an old wisdom yeah you know there's something you don't get from us city folk you know the you know the the riddles of the earth that a you know city slicker is not fit to to know Mm. Um, and either through intent or through bad application or whatever uh, by the time it reaches the screen they're not that they're actually just sort of slack-jawed yokels who i mean the heads on those lads yeah um one of them the guy who actually strikes the last blow the guy who eventually does get it out once they leave that's donald mccann he's one of the most foremost <laughs> stage actors in ireland uh like he's in he's in the dead with you know the john Hughes movie and everything yeah he's really like would have turned with like brian friel's original centurion productions of you know all his great plays mm. and here he is as this this absolutely thankless role <laughs> as a bog-eyed, really role, a, a bog-eyed <clears throat> Egypt who... Um, 
He doesn't look as bad as the guy with glasses, though. No, he looks like 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 something from Beavis and Butthead. He looks like a Matt Lucas character. Yeah, he does. He looks really like the first season of of Little Britain when they really went for the grotesque. Um, He, I mean, just like someone, they look the kind of people that point at planes, you know? Uh, It does look like he should start (laughs) singing Peanuts. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like lads that you wouldn't trust to stay in a room on their own without falling in the fire yeah um, you know just like you know like the tank top is kind of pulled up and one 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 point of his shirt is like sticking out and uh, yeah he just looks absolutely gormless but they're having trouble removing this stone. they're having awful trouble yeah it just won't one of them says it won't shift <laughs> He does. The worst thing about watching reviews of this on American sites as well is that uh, they do ex- much less creditable yeah. versions of the accents. And it is quite funny to see uh, uh, a thing known as stage Irish, yeah. which is where Irish people are, would go be on the West End and then they have to harm up their Irishness for mm-hmm. it to read as Irish. Yeah. Um, because a lot of Irish people don't speak like that. But my God, those guys do. And they're on shift. <laughs> Um, I gotta go home. My dinner's ready. That's my <laughs> that's Irish. Exactly what he said. Yeah. And also, Dylan Moran has a great line about you know the worst. The, you know Irish people not being a particularly attractive race, and uh, the worst of us, the worst of us look like we're smuggling other Irish people inside us. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> the, the listener will have to imagine the face I just pulled. But if they're Irish, they can already picture it because it's it's themselves, their brothers, and everyone they know. Uh, but, uh, Apart from Pierce Brosnan. Well, that's the things we export our best. You know, yeah. Colin Farrell's a beautiful man. Yeah. Um, Donald Gleeson and Saoirse Ronan are perfectly, you know, toothsome. Mm. But, you know, for every Andrea Corr... Alison Doody. Oh, Alison Doody, of course, oh. yes. Very, very much so. Yeah. But for every one of those, there are 4,000 <laughs> cubic dimpness rolling down O'Connell Street. So... <laughs> we uh, a few of them got the got the nod in this film uh not least those two guys who i don't think they're really mentioned again they, they might show up for the identifying the body or something i or, don't think you see them again which is because uh, they're you really good to look them. at yeah. yeah i was fascinated with the glasses <laughs> he's, he's fascinated <laughs> i wonder if his dinner was ever ready well i better be getting back me dinner's on the table Bet it was. Yeah, I'd say it was. It's not know. like poor Dennis. We'll get to later. For the look of him, I don't think it lasted that long, that dinner. Oh, poor man. Yeah. Um, but then we cut to the church that uh, Hallenbeck's going oh. to. And inside the church, the verger is leading a song of hallelujah. Yeah, that goes on for like... Hallelujah. <laughs> and the women give cut him a look like... That, that fucking idiot. Yeah. And then he looks at them sternly and they're like, oh, oh, sorry. So there's, I, I think there might have been a subplot removed there. Oh yeah, it's always bothered me slightly. Well, um, they also cut to and from the church to show other things going on, yeah. which makes you think that this is like, you know, live at Phoenix Park, ninety-minute-long version of Hallelujah. I think it is unplugged. Yeah. You yeah. know, Peter Frampton just going absolutely mental on it. Um, but it's floating it c- leprechaun <laughs> on a string. <laughs> the whole thing was just uh, uh, set as setting a scene uh, as well. An Anglican church doesn't really have the Ring of Ireland about it. You know, no. You know, it's a it's a multicultural place Ireland these days it's a melting pot but you've got the option the opportunity to to show you know to drag the Catholic Church through the mud which I'm always up for yeah uh, drag it through the mud and then have Rawhead come up out of the mud well yeah I mean they, they, did, they just didn't want the controversy we're writing the sequel here we go oh, well there you go yeah because there's a setup for one yeah, it, yeah we'll, we'll get there we'll get there <laughs> um, but the stained glass window bothers me because in the stained glass window is a, a depiction of Rawhead Rex it's amazing with red eyes mm-hmm. and the light shines through and they're like laser pointers yep they are and they're suggesting that they've only just noticed this because the Verge is like oh, oh gosh, it's right in my face is the idea that it's because 
the removing of the plinth, plinth dolmen sort of hinge thing, mm. has, precipitates the electrical storm, and that yeah. atmospheric condition means that it does that for the first time. Oh, yeah, maybe because it looks as if that every single time light shines through those eyes. I thought it might have been Cobra from the yeah. Sylvester Stallone <laughs> film, where he's got the laser pointer gun. <laughs> You might have been shooting the verger. Uh, Clean up your act. Side point about Cobra. Mm -hmm. I don't know if did you ever listen to the uh, how did this get this get how did this get made podcast? Yes. Did an episode about it. I know we shouldn't recommend other podcasts. Definitely no, not those fucks. Yeah, nor yeah those, those jerks. Successful. Fucks. Yeah, those jerks. Yeah. They do mention something which I've never ever forgotten, which is that St Sylvester Stallone. Had, you know that thing where they release the book after the movie comes out and yeah. they have fair the, game and put the movie the movie cover on it so he mm. the writer of the book was like well cool I'll sell more books yeah. but Sylvester Stallone tried to make it a condition that he would be listed as the author oh my god and the original author's name would be taken off and the book that is the book not a special new novelization of the film that was based on the book but the actual book would now write, read Cobra by Sylvester Stallone with the new movie cover but it's literally the but didn't he also I'm sorry we're talking about Cobra but didn't he also change loads of it so it's nothing like the book he did yeah he did because I think he just lost out on Beverly Hills Cop or yeah, something yeah he left Beverly Hills Cop because he wanted <laughs> to be Cobra <laughs> Beverly Hills Cobra he wanted to call it yeah that's amazing but uh yeah god that film. I'll have to do that film one day I was obsessed with that was film was it like Frank Cabretti or something like Marion that Marion Cabretti <laughs> and they call him the Cobra and he's from the zombie squad oh fucking hell I hate any any auto-generated nickname. Mm. Like there was a guy in my class in school. I don't know. If, I'll just say Gary, and he said he came in one day and said, "My name's Gary, but everyone calls me the Wizard." <laughs> <laughs> and everyone, and like, we were eleven years old, but we were not. We were, you know, we were not. <laughs> we were pretty incorrigible, but we we're like, that's not true. <laughs> and uh, he said, "No, everyone in Rosemont, you know, housing state in Derry. Everyone in Rosemont calls me Derry. Uh, calls me uh, Wizard." And uh, we literally turned to our like six degrees to the left. Said, "You're from." Rosemary, aren't you? I said, yeah. Um, Scary ever be called wizard in his life? Said, no, but he came to football last week and tried to get everyone to call him that, so it might be that again. <laughs> like, seven seconds that lasted for Pearl Gary and for oh, his entire God. life. I mean, oh. he just, he, first day of, first year in a new school, he just thought he was going to redo it, but he tried too hard. And unfortunately, that was Sylvester Stallone's career for a period in the 80s. Well, the Cobra thing. Sorry, I know you're all here to hear about Rawhead Rex. The Cobra <laughs> thing annoys me because it feels like, a, you know, Dave Lee Travis insisted everyone call him the Harry Cornflake. I, I imagine Cobra was like, no, my name's not Marion Cabretti. Just call me the Cobra. Oh, God. Well, that's, and Harry Cornflake is such a wacky, real ale man kind yeah. of a, like funny thing. Aung San Suu Kyi. <laughs> referred to him as the Harry Cornflake when she met him because she used to listen to nothing but the BBC uh, World Service every single day and it was one of the shows that was always on hmm. so when uh, the late lamented the, the real life milkshake duck herself Aung San Suu Kyi greeted Dave Travis with the call of yeah Harry Cornflake and a legend was born a legend was born which lasted a, a while <laughs> um, so the church service is going on so then we cut back to the farmers they give up as we mentioned and um, Howard starts taking pictures of things in, uh, of people in the church and stuff, and then his son comes and tells him that this he, is boring. Ireland is boring. Ireland's boring. Yeah, I want to go. But you're in the land of your forefathers. Yeah, my forefathers are from Derry. <laughs> my forefathers are where? It's just this weird. There's nothing worse than an Irish accent which is melding into an American accent. Mm. Um, whether it's from a bad accent from an American or. Uh, more tragically, when an Irish celebrity goes over to America and it starts to bleed, like Tim Wheeler from Ash used to always have mm. a really bad one. Well, because I'm from I'm from Northern Ireland, and Tim Wheeler's from Portadown mm. or Downpatrick, and uh, 
so his accent was always like this Northern Irish accent that was kind of American as well. Yeah. Uh, Graham McDowell, the golfer, who is one of the most lamentable human beings on earth anyway. Yeah. Uh, just a real, like, proper hyper partridge. Uh, he is the same thing, this snarling, horrible mid-Atlantic twang. And you get that with these little kids, unfortunately, because, yeah, they just, they haven't really studied up. They haven't, they haven't really inhibited their characters or inhabited their characters well i I guess they didn't get time to um but the farmer then calls the stone we cut back to the farmer he calls the stone a bastard (laughs) you bastard and then it just suddenly flips open smoke pours out Mm. and out comes rawhead rex we don't know he's called rawhead rex yet but out comes but we've got a we've got an inkling it's called rawhead yes yeah it's true out comes the cobra uh rawhead rex comes out and it'd be um, terrible if he's like I'm Colin and then yeah. Rawhead Rex is some other completely different character he says, yeah. my name's Colin but everyone calls me Rawhead Rex <laughs> <laughs> actually by the way as a name that is exactly what it sounds like yeah everyone calls me Rawhead he was at football last week he, he asked everyone to call him Rawhead Rex <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a terrible name it is um, to use for the person or f- to be used as a as like a as a creature it's like is mm. there I mean, you mentioned earlier, I think when we were talking about doing this episode, yeah. uh, about the idea of there being a rawhead Rex. A rawhead Rex, yeah. yeah like, yeah. you know, like a Shrek. Or a Jaws. A, a Frankenstein. A Jaws. <laughs> a Jaws. We need a Jaws in this. But there are four a Jawses. <laughs> so that's fine. So uh, rawhead Rex comes out. Now I have to ask you on your first sight of him in the flesh, that is to say not on the cover. Yeah. What do you think when you see this uh, this outfit, this costume? not great is it? <laughs> it's not he's got this weird giant face it comes out about four feet yeah it looks odd and doesn't seem to be necessary either for the character or for the poor guy who's in the suits mm. whose name is Heinrich von Schellendorf that's right who was an, a six foot ten eighteen year old yeah uh, who happened to be a German who was studying in Ireland at the time yeah and uh, well they wanted um, Chewbacca Peter, oh, Peter Mayhew Peter Mayhew yeah but he asked for too much money I'm guessing it was about eight quid yeah. Because they got the student from Ireland to do it instead. Yeah, well, there's an amazing interview with him on the. Uh, did you see that interview where he's sitting? He's sitting in front of his cars and he talks. Yeah. He spends about thirty percent of the last uh, little bit of it talking about how you two stayed in the same hotel. It's not as any rip roaring material. Uh, it's uh, you do get a sense of you know. Don't mind us, mate. We are you know in your own time. I'm surprised you two didn't do a song for the film like they used to <laughs> in those days. Yeah, they did that a lot. They were apparently they were very very eager to get an Oscar. Really? Uh, yeah, they so would have got one here. Uh, call him Raw Head. <laughs> they would have definitely. Like with Nutbush City Limits but with Roy Rex. They did loads though. They did loads of movies like the uh, the hands Batman of, Forever Batman Forever they did that's a great song. It's a good song. Hold me thrill me kiss me Kilmer. It's my yeah. It's my only f- U2 song I really like really because mm. actually it's one of my favourite ones as well mm. um, but they also did The Hands That Built America they had their own film called Rattle and Hum oh they did they also had he wrote A Million Dollar Hotel which Vin Vendors yeah. directed yeah. and I'm sure that's filled with U2 songs and he also did well obviously they did the music to turn off the dark that <laughs> abortive to let's kill every act, every yeah. actor in Broadway yeah uh, musical and then they did Selma they did the did ordinary love or something, and um, Adam Clayton is fine, and the Edge. <laughs> they did the Mission they Impossible. Did Mission Impossible thing, but the Danny Elfman did the score. He, he did the score. They did a. They released it as a single, and it was shit. I think I quite liked it. Did oh no, you? I like the Dan- I like the Danny Elfman. The Danny Elfman score is great, but their single is just them him playing it on bass, and um, the drummer is fine. 
Yeah. Uh, sorry, I, I always think of Alan Partridge. And I think of you too. It's <laughs> fine. I love it. Um, I I do remember you had uh, you had uh, was it Chris Hewitt from uh, Empire. Empire. He doesn't yeah. like the Danny Elfman score. He doesn't. We had a words about this. But I actually watched. I, I watched it well recently, and I love that whenever they get into the fire engine, just mm. all the great rawhead Rex content that we've got here. Yeah. Mission Impossible retread of something you've already covered in another podcast. When they get into the fire engine after they've done the big heist with uh, uh, Stephen Tobolowsky and everything. Hmm. That's amazing. Anyway, it's a great uh, score. And also, we, we've got content here for Cobra Heads. Out yeah. there, <laughs> who are, you know, big Cobra Heads. <laughs> we've got you covered. Uh, so Rex pops out, and this bother has always bothered me because I saw this film as a ten-year-old boy. Oh, did you? Yeah. Right. When I was a little kid, I'll tell this boring story. I've probably told it on here before. Sorry, everybody, but I probably haven't told you. Uh, we moved to a new town, and my parents became friendly with the man who owned the video shop, not in a seedy way. Okay. In a nice way. And they just said, anything John wants to rent out, we're, we're happy. 15, 18, whatever. Your parents said this? Yeah. So your parents were quite cool in other respects? Or was this a surprise to you? They're surprise? Yeah. Um, so I was able to just go in and rent horror movies. And hence why I was... I used to go once a week and, and I think they gave me like a five pound a week pocket money. And I'd go in and rent a couple of films. So... I'd get horror movies. And this one was like, oh, wow. And we lived... My dad was the foreman of a cemetery and our house backed onto the cemetery. Right, and I used to watch all these horror films, and nothing would bother me. I had this threshold. But for some reason, I rented this film, and it terrified me. That is, that is amazing. Lee. But this is not a scary film. But for some reason, it terrified me. So when he jumps out of the hole like that, when I was a little kid, I was a bit scared. Well, this is the, the this is a very weird synchronicity because mm. uh, I had a very similar experience, but with the graphic novelization of this book. Yeah. Uh, or so I'd never. Uh, I never read the short story and I up until now I'd never seen the film hmm. uh, but I did when I was 11 years old I went to the Foyle Street Library in Derry uh, which I would routinely do because you know school would have finished at half three my dad would work till five and you just kind of hang around the town or you know whatever you'd go you know just go to record shops or the library so I'd sit in the library and when between 10 and 11 I would be really just like, deep into like horror and fantasy and stuff that kind of wasn't lying around in the houses that much mm. um, genre stuff and yeah. I got really into comics and graphic novels that way and I found this and at 11 years old again nothing really fazed me I was always reading way ahead of my uh, supposed level Yeah, but this was the first the graphic novel which is adapted by Steve Niles for Eclipse Comics it really has that sort of twist of the blood because it's like Clive Barker's sexual mm. sort of horror. I mean, in the book and in the graphic novelization, unlike in this, we've talked about how weird the uh, the costume is. In the original conception of the character and in Cl to Clive Barker's disgust when he saw the costume from the movie, mm. uh, he was originally supposed to be a nine-foot phallus with teeth. Mm. And the comic really, really puts that on, yes. on paper. So I remember reading it and I was so shocked and creeped out and weirded and the guy <clears throat> the pissing incident which we will come to later on mm. it's way more graphic and uh, bizarrely considering it's static images it stayed with me so much longer than the, mm. the full film version and I remember I was so freaked out by it for days afterwards um, and the night that I read it I went back I, I went home when I had to go to sleep that night I remember reciting pleasant things to myself in my sleep to, to, before I got to sleep like yeah. here are all the good things in the world and I remember I, I knew that I was really like screwed because I was like really running out of pleasant things in the world to put Steve, stave off the mm. 
the blank, the damp blankness of horror that was coming into me. Um, and I ended up like naming like teachers that I'd liked or like, oh my you God. know, or even like the concept of like you know, fresh socks, Cobra. Yeah. yeah. You know, Marianne Cabretti. Yeah. Uh, so I had a similar experience where uh, fairly unflappable genre yeah. munching child yeah. just got this too early. And yeah. obviously like you, I, I re, I re, uh, uh, I, I retrod that path this week, got the old comic and was really disappointed by how limp it was. And, yeah. Uh, a hell of a lot more effective than the movie, but yeah. So we both seem to have done the same thing. We have. That's very, very odd. Yeah, we're blood brothers now. <laughs> we are. Um, so here we are. So we go back to the church and Howard notices Rex, the stained glass window, and he meets the weird verger, verger sorry, who's called Declan O'Brien. And uh, he touched Declan, after everyone's gone, touches the table, which we later find out is a chest. Yeah. And he, everyone who touches it has this weird freak out. Yeah, so did you... Never really explained. Yeah, so it's hot in their hand and burns their hand. Well, yeah. Sometimes it, it doesn't actually quite burn your hand. It just it, it uh, gives you a hot sensation, but when you look at your hand afterwards, it's fine. Yeah. But the priest, priest. Does, he does it later, and it does burn his hand. holy man. Possibly. Yeah. Um, and then you also get a sort of a flashback or flash well in the Verger's case he sees everything Rex sees so it's a flash uh, simultaneous present. <laughs> flash present yeah. yeah which sounds like something you'd get in an email <laughs> um, yeah so the Verger who I think probably was told you know you know acting right go 150% over acting because he's just crazy. well it's because they're all theatre actors yeah. and so they're I think I presume that you're told you know, this has to work on a 50-foot screen. Mm. So you go way, way, way kind of over. He does, he does. Yeah. But um, So he sees everything, and um, then Howard meets the priest, who's called Father Coot. And at this point, we're injecting into the screenplay that Howard's a funny man, Yeah. because he says uh, to the verger, Coot, is he old? <laughs> yeah. And then when he goes into Coot's house... Uh, he the, is! Hey. He is. Oh, yes, yeah, so that's, that's a redemption for him. But there's also loads of clocks on the wall, and he goes... A striking collection. Yeah, that was that was very uh, Bond, and, actually. And the priest very, just goes... Eh. <laughs> it, was quite, it was quite funny, actually, how he tolerated that. Uh, the priest is Neil Tobin, yeah. uh, who is a famous Irish comedian, or at least was... He's a comedian. Was a comedian, yes. Blimey. Uh, yeah, and... Um, his, so is this meta? Yeah, I suppose so, but I think he would probably... His his interest or influence would be on the Wayne, but he's a Cork man who was... Uh, Sort of like in you know Hall's Pictorial Weekly, that kind of stuff, like sort of TV comedian and sort of sketch. He's no longer with us. I believe he might be no longer with us. Uh, no, actually, I actually think he's still alive. Oh, good. So the yeah. curse hasn't got him. The curse is well, uh, you know, yeah. <coughs> take that, Rawhead. He wasn't in Cobra, though, was he? <laughs> just before we move on. <laughs> he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Howard is looking for Neolithic sites, and he'd like to take some pictures, which Coot says fine, no problem. And he says he'd also like to look at the records. Yeah. And, he, and he's a bit like, yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll get Declan to find them for you. But, you know. Then there's a little bit of exchange. Like, oh, Declan, I don't really like that guy. Mm. And then... Uh, does Priest he ever... Says, Priest says, ah, oh, he's all right. Yeah, and then that's it. But he's, does, a, he's a bit of a cunt. Does he ever... Get, <laughs> that was my <laughs> Irish there. Does he ever get the records? No, well, no, we find out why in the end. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we go back to Howard's lodgings and his wife's annoyed because they've been in Ireland for two months. And he says, I just need two more days, then we're going to go to Dublin. And it's a month and a half. Yeah, actually. Yeah. And um, so then we go to the bit. Well, this is the bit when I was a child that terrified me. Uh-huh. And I'll explain why. So we go to the farmer's house, different farmer, not mm. the first farmer, a new farmer called Dennis. Yes. And he's with his wife, who was smiling precociously at the verger earlier. <laughs> She's pregnant. 
She's making an Irish stew. She is. Would, I, would, it, would that be fair? I'd and say so. Much? I mean, it looks pretty bad done, but yeah, it looks, yeah. you know, all the, everything raw at the same time, all put together in one pot, yeah, like which is Irish cuisine, to be honest. And broccoli, meat. Broccoli, meat, carrots, and yeah. it looks like, it actually looked like sort of lettuce. Yeah. And then literal raw beef. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm assuming she's going to cook. <laughs> Otherwise, it's something you'd give to someone if you were torturing But I mean, them. the heavy handedness of raw, yeah, raw, oh, yeah, but yeah. 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 Um, well, he, well, when Rawhead comes in the house, he smashes up the eggs. So it's raw head eggs. That doesn't work. Um, so the farmer comes in and he's all happy. And then she says, sorry. Raw head regs. Sorry. Uh, the, the wife says, oh, you've left the shed door open. And he oh. said, oh, well. Um, so he goes down. That was my Irish. So he goes down and he has a look. And, and the, the lock's been ripped off. I quite like that effect. It looked quite uh, nicely done. I, I'll, you know, we have to give this film juice when it... You know, now, I have to ask you a logistical question here. Because... As we subsequently find out, Rawhead is in the shed. Yeah. Which rhymes. Yeah. Uh, he's behind a massive stack of boxes. Did he get behind them or did he build them? I like to imagine that he built them. Yeah, I do. Or like painstakingly once he got in there. But also hiding isn't really in his repertoire. So maybe he just like came in from a side entrance. I reckon from the side. Otherwise that would be a real pagan in the arse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as good as the rest. Rawhead box, more like. Yeah. That'll, that'll do. Yeah. That's better. Nail it. Put it on the poster. Um, so Rex jumps out of, through these boxes uh, and he um, mutilates the farmer. He does. Now, this farmer... Yes. <coughs> uh, he's uh, he's someone I've met. Wow. Yes. So this farmer is uh, actor John Olen, uh, who's a very creditable actor and uh, who is also the father of one of my very best friends, Jack, who's himself uh, a great actor and uh, also an historian of <laughs> of all things uh, Irish film and theatre. So he's he's uh, was telling me some stories this week. Um, his dad <laughs> basically was, apart from other things, uh, they had to feed the guy who played Rawhead Rex, who was himself, as we just mentioned, 18-year-old Heinrich von Schellendorf. Uh, they had to feed him through <laughs> the little throat piece because he couldn't get out of it all day. Did they feed raw beef? They, I wish, yeah. It was just yeah. Like eggs, rawhead eggs and beef. Um yeah, but they basically filmed it in Wicklow, and uh, I've got to imagine they didn't presume that it was going to be like great. No, but you know, you see all those, uh, you know, those letters home from people who were in Star Wars or whatever, and they mm. said, "Oh, this is the end of my career." You know, sack my agent, all that kind of stuff. I think Alec Guinness, Anthony Daniels, quite a few of them yeah. talked about how this was the turkey of all turkeys. George yeah. Lucas left that set, yeah, betting Stephen. Uh, Spielberg mm. like giving them points off each other's movies like oh, this is going to be the biggest turkey of all time yep. give me 1% of uh, uh, Close Encounters and I'll give you 1% of Star Wars yep. an arrangement which still earns Steven Spielberg I think something like 40 million dollars a year um, but uh, yeah so it's, they could have said well the script is by Clive Barker this guy's you know classy horror I've got to imagine and Jack was too classy to say that they must have been doing it and been thinking what is what is this? Because they're all very good stage actors, people mm. with great reputations, and you know, it's not dampen their reputations because I think that's just par for the course if you're a working actor. I mean, a job's a job. Yeah. But I just don't. I, can't, I just can't imagine what it was like on that set, finding yourself in between <clears> shots, <throat> feeding gummy bears to a six foot ten, eighteen year old German <laughs> in a massive rubber mulleted. That's a monster. film in itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, possibly a better film than Rawhead Rex. Right? Um, because it, this reminds me aesthetically of Taffin. Which is another Irish film. Yes. But Taffin at least has Pierce Brosnan. It does. He's not very good in it, but he's Pierce Brosnan. I mean, Pierce Brosnan is just Pierce Brosnan. I mean, he's so handsome mm. that it's like, 
it's already like a carter in the film. You know the way people say like, yeah. oh, New York is like a carter in this film. Yeah. Pierce Brosnan's handsomeness mm. is a carter in every film that he. Whereas did. in this film, you've got lots of respected stage actors who are all bowing down beneath an eighteen-year-old in a suit. <laughs> yeah. And David Dukes. <laughs> and David Dukes. What was what else was David Dukes in by the way? We kind of glossed I over. Know. Him. I no. looked. I looked at his credits and I didn't recognize anything. Nothing jumped out at me. Not like Roy Drex oh. in the shed. See, we're back on. We're back, back on track. On. Um, so your your friend's father, is he still with us? He is indeed, yes. Good. So there's no curse of Roy Hedrex there? No, there's not. Well, he uh, you, you might also know him as... Uh, he's the police chief in Father Ted. Yes, uh, he is, isn't yeah, he? he? The is. whistle. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, uh, reminds me of Vietnam. Huh? The film's Ted, the film. Um, he's... Uh, oh, is that the Henry Sellers one as yes, well? Yes, as well. It's the same one, yeah, yeah. Jeez, I hope that's, I hope that, I hope that's one of his scenes. I haven't seen it in a while. But J- Jack will put me right. Um, yeah. uh, he's also an absolute uh, diamond geezer. One of the, one of the best. And very, well, very I'd like friend. to celebrate him because he's in the, um, the scene. When I was a child, the reason this terrified me so much is, A, it's in daylight, which is very untraditional for a horror film. Yeah, but I mean, it's an Irish daylight, which might as well be like <laughs> gravel on the screen. True, so true. But grubby. not only is it in daylight, there's a bit where the woman reacts, she screams while her husband's being mutilated, and Rex turns and Softy. looks at her and then runs towards the window, which you don't see very often yeah. in horror films. The, the, what will usually happen, the trope would be, she'd scream, she'd be distracted from him, look up and he'd be gone. Yeah. And then he'd appear in the kitchen, but he actually darts towards her and smashes the window. And that, to me as a child, home invasion, I think when you're a child, is yeah. terrifying. And also the fact of seeing the bit that usually they leave out for suspense. There's something weird about just seeing someone running directly towards yeah. you. Yeah. It's actually not very nice. Especially when it's a 18-year-old, 6'10 German <laughs> with a weird head. Oh. Um, but yeah, so she runs upstairs and she hides in the loft room. Yeah. It's not a loft, yeah. if you haven't seen this film. She's not in a loft. Yeah, I mean, and I would describe the ensuing chase as... Uh, Roomy. I don't know if it's been mm. paced out necessarily by the, the sort of the MTV generation of directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes on for roughly a fortnight. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Well, he smashes up the kitchen first. <laughs> he does. While he he's going, he, he like tips over he the table. Tips over the ta- but he tips over the table like, uh, like he's like Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah, like, he's like, you, you want like, me to pay service yeah. on this? <laughs> he's, he's like, there's no. He's what's he doing? Like, I mean, he's a primal pagan sex deity. You forget about the close up of him karate chopping a box of eggs, <laughs> <laughs> which is terrifying. <laughs> and yeah. then he leaves some spaghetti on fall onto the floor. He d- that was amazing the Batoni spaghetti which falls yeah. almost in slow motion like a like that scene. Sands of time <laughs> like in Battleship Potemkin yeah. the pram 
Uh, in many ways, that is Ireland's battleship. Uh, yeah, champion. but it uh, then he follows through a one nondescript corridor, possibly another nondescript corridor, up some stairs. She, she goes to the door because it's all gone quiet. I mean, that, way too quickly. Way too quickly. Of all the things to happen quickly in this scene, she stops making noise for roughly a nanosecond, and then she's like, "Oh, thank God." I hope he hasn't smashed the eggs. Yeah. <laughs> But is that is that spaghetti hitting the ground? The husband I can deal with, but those eggs. Is I that like me spaghetti? Um, but no, his hand pierces the door. Yeah, and scratches her pregnant tummy. It does. Um, I mean, I don't know how strong, however strong you are, going finger first. Yeah, with, with an open hand sense. through yeah. it. That that doesn't seem like something even the strongest person would do. No, I mean Jeff Capes wouldn't do that. No, not at all. But certainly not Peter Mayhew, unless you give him that eight quid. Who's the <laughs> Who's the island strong man? We had Jeff Capes. Uh, ooh, well, we didn't. I think we kind of for those kinds of things for like world world of sport and stuff. Mm. Uh, Jeff Capes and Giant was it Giant Haystacks? Giant Haystacks. Giant, Giant Haystacks. Yeah. Uh, those things were kind of like just imported over. But we did have world strongest man competitor. Competitor. Mm. Uh, his name Glenn Ross. Right. I'll take you um, for it. He's know. either Glenn Guy or Glenn Ross. So it's definitely Glenn Ross. <laughs> and he's from Northern Ireland. And he's a bouncer in his uh, his other job. But he's a Northern Irish guy. And uh, he's, I, I think I've seen the exact same story about him six or seven times filmed on different news sites hmm. or news uh, shows where it's just hit watching what he eats for breakfast every day. Oh, they, they used to well, love all that, didn't oh, they? They used to do that with Jeff Capes as well. Oh, he's like, 14, mm. bre- 14 fried breakfasts. Yeah. And you're like, how many times have you be, had to be filmed doing this? It's like that guy... Uh, who's like you know eats Christmas dinner every day, and like every <laughs> every year he gets on the radio. Did he commit suicide in the end? I just want to know. Did he committed suicide? No, he didn't. Mr. Andy Parker. I heard him on the radio in Derry just last year. So, yeah, it's very very depressing. But anyway, so Rex bursts into the room and he's about to murder this woman, and then you see a close up of a little prosthetic hand with nails coming out. Yeah, and it goes, <laughs> and these nails coming out, and then he sees her tummy. And the nails go back in. Yeah, he gets. And then he just looks at her in the eyes. He he gets like. Uh, he is boss-eyed as well, which doesn't help. Yeah, he is, and yeah. then sometimes he's got laser pointers eyes. Yes, because they do actually pierce in the same way that the uh, stained glass. Does. Stained glass is it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a symmetry. Uh, it's like George Lucas said, everything has to rhyme. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> it's like a poem. Yeah, it's like a poem. Uh, so he, yes, he. This is the first sign we get that the power of the feminine is. Uh, it's not no, it's not that's not bricks and bats and sticks and stones. Yeah, it's it's fertility. It's tits. tits. That's it. He can't he can't do it. Well, we'll get onto this later. Mm. There's some tits later. Um, so there we go. So the woman is um, spared. So later on, um, the police turn up, and we've got two policemen. I'm guessing Clive Barker hadn't met many policemen at this point, because one of them is basically Kojak, and the other one's like Dirty Harry. One of them's literally got a gun holster on all the time, and the other one's got a hat and's constantly smoking a cigar. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I do not believe that Irish uh, police are legally allowed to carry weapons. I'm sergeant policeman, <laughs> and this is my assistant. Also, they policeman. They uh, later on, you do actually see their premises, which are like prefabricated. Like it's a yeah. literally like a. They're like mm, I don't know something you might find on a film set that was just lying around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the sort of place where they just have like you know they. The chargers for all the mics, like yeah. that kind of thing. That's yeah. literally what you've got. Um, a very, very uh, substandard. Uh, they're acting gamely enough, like the, but even the way they're dressed, like they're wearing sort of like yellow trench coats. It's just like, first of all, it's not accurate because that's not how Irish police act. No. Secondly, it doesn't work with the mixed, uh, the mixed messages because you've got these pudgy-looking Irish 
sort of detectives because mm. they are Irish, pudgy looking Irish actors yeah. with Garda cars which are not particularly sexy or exciting no, not, no. you know they're not the ones that they turn into little cars that kids like to use Ford Cortina yeah. as well <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. really really rough yeah. and then you've got these hard bitten slicksters you know saying I bet there was a gang of men a gang yeah they would have come in from here uh, crime of revenge that's what I think yeah. like they, they're already hot spitting like theories they don't see many murders right yeah. here <laughs> and he says it in such a way like I've seen my fair share of murders yeah or or also just like you know he's seen his fair share of midsummer murders yeah so yeah not particularly uh, and also they're a complete hindrance they're a complete nonsense in the yeah. entire film they don't have any agency and their no. entire focus is just to be to say what get this this guy's crazy for mm. saying he saw a giant mulleted 10 foot tall uh, German man in it <laughs> they're uh, everywhere in Germany <laughs> um, so then we cut to Rawhead dragging your mate's dad which through was, the woods which is something I find very scary actually even now because they, he kind of like takes him around like a lunchbox he does he's eating bits off him for the rest he's of he's shit though isn't he because when we see him eating him later <laughs> he's like going like he's really eating him and then when they find the body later there's like one scratch on yeah, it has he got rubber teeth oh he has got rubber teeth he yeah. does well uh, also in the graphic novel I mentioned earlier Mm. Uh, it's really gruesome that he's like he's savouring it I've seen that bit yeah it's like blood you know kind of blood drool from he's his sitting in this like uh, sort of someone's internal organs and yeah yeah he's I'd, sipping on a bowel um, oh yeah it's like a, a, a kidney or a liver that he's pulling yeah. uh, so you know there's ample opportunity to make it slightly scarier but I should say in the defence of the people who made this film I did watch the special features of the effects people and they said that Clive was very insistent on it being a giant seven-foot penis. And, and they said, well, we couldn't possibly make a giant seven-foot penis because no one would want that in a film. So was it a taste or is it fit practically they couldn't do it? Taste and practicality because Clive was insistent that it had to be a very thin <laughs> penis. And they said, well, we're just going to go, we're going to make it like a pagan monster instead. Yeah. Which is what they went with. But even then, it's not great, is it? But then even then, it's it's very it's very weird to work out what... So is he a monster, a god? Is he a king? It's very hard to know because it seems like they're saying that he's like a, a human that went... Aren't they saying it? he was the devil? Because later on, someone says he, he's the devil and he goes, oh no, probably not the devil, but that's where the stories start. Oh, like right. that. That's oh. where the stories come from. Oh, the whole of devil was based on Rathmorn's uh, basic... You should be proud. Oh, yeah, fair play. Yeah. yeah, take that home with you next time you go. <laughs> The badge of honour. Um, but Howard decides he's going to go for a walk to get some air because there's some commotion going on out in the town. And we cut to a caravan park, which is the, the third location in this film, which they get a lot of use of. It's, yeah, they really do. They like it a lot. Yeah. And and there's a kid who's basically cock-blocking his older brother, Andy. It's, yeah, massively. You're a selfish little brat. <laughs> uh, and the, my favourite thing is the kid, it looks like he's been dressed by Vic and Bob. Cause he's got a tracksuit on and on the back it says muscle power. <laughs> Does... <laughs> And I think that's exactly the sort of thing Vic Reeves would wear. Uh, yeah, and also, uh, the it's just such a it's a thunderous cliche, and you know it's a cliche even to call out the cliche. But mm. the idea that they go off into the woods to have a schnog. Well, she wants to have a chat with him, which makes it sound like she's pregnant or something. She says, "I need to have a word with you." Well, I just like to imagine that it's a nice flipping of the fact that she's actually proper horny, and you know, he's just a good old boy. I would say that she's not proper horny. <laughs> he is constantly horny. He's like a giant erection on legs, like Rawhead Rex <laughs> himself. Uh, he constantly just wants to get it on. He does, yeah. Uh, and if he had the facilities, he would have put that record on. Yeah. Sadly, he's in a caravan. <laughs> What's this? What's the arrangement, though, by the way? So I presume that's his brother. That's his brother. So do they live there, or is this like a holiday? They, I think they live there. 
Okay. Because he's playing toy soldiers with a giant robot, which no kid would do. That, yeah. <laughs> That's just impractical. Uh, and the girl's n- not comfortable of uh, having sexual intercourse in front of a small child. Well, what a what a weirdo. What a prig, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they go for a walk in the woods, as you say. And Ra- we see Rawhead again. He drag- he's, he's hanging around the caravan park, having a look round. Yeah. And there's a bit where she comes out of the caravan and says, oh, Andy, let's go in the woods. Or he says that. And we're seeing it from Royhead's point of view, and I can't believe for a minute they wouldn't have noticed <laughs> a seven-foot monster standing a foot away from them, hold it, dragging a dead farmer. Like a pack of Lunchables. Yeah. They're like just picking bits off from every once in a while as well. Don't leave home without a farmer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Andy and his girlfriend, Katrina, her name is, she wants to talk. The little brother sees Rex eating the farmer in the woods, and again, a bit scared me when I was little, because the little brother's running through the woods to have a go at his brother, because the brother steals his toy robot, yeah, and he just puts it on the floor. But Rawhead, as when he's walking past, drops it and smashes it. But did it seem? It seemed like he did it out of badness. It seemed like he was yeah. doing it deliberately. Like, well, I think oh, fuck he was. This guy. I think he was shocked because the little boy was trying to come out of the caravan, and he looked round and then dropped the toy. Oh, I thought he did it as like. Oh, he might have done. He's not a very. I don't know. I don't know if you've noticed, but he's not a very nice man, Rawhead Rex. Oh, he's an awful yeah. arse. Yeah. yeah. Um, he'd like. He'd like Brexit, wouldn't he? <laughs> he seriously would. Yeah. Um, so the boy runs into the woods to give his brother what for. Oh. And as he runs through the clearing in the woods, he sees Rawhead eating your mate's dad. Yeah. Uh, again, vociferously, but not making any sort of dent in him. No, not really. I mean, almost like, you know, the, the Native Americans were always said to you know, use every part of the buffalo. Mm-hmm. He's being incredibly wasteful. Because, I mean, even the bits that he's taken wouldn't be... I mean, surely you go for the buttock, well, uh, thigh. Yeah, you know, well, as we see later, Rex is obsessed with just taking people's heads off and wandering off. Yeah, I mean, I've got to imagine that's just a quicker, cheaper effect to do than have, like, loads of different bits all oozing blood and pus and whatever was your friend's dad upside down in the tree or was it a stunt person oh I don't know if it's a stunt person or if it was it's parts it looked like a dummy mm. but then when he's being dragged mm. I definitely think it's actually yeah that's him. definitely him yeah. that's amazing because you know he, what did you do at work today <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, so, um, so the, the kid sees him and is terrified, and he runs back to the, like um, the, the the caravan, and he finds some old people, and he he's catatonic with fear. Yeah. Can't possibly explain what's happened. Meanwhile, Andy and Katrina, Andy's got a hyper boner, and they're <laughs> looking for a place to get it on, and there they find Rawhead's farmer. They do, which uh, sounds like his piles. Yeah, but it's not. It's his an actual farmer. Oh, Rawhead's farmer, I. Yeah, and then they and they run, and as they're running, Rex jumps out from the bushes, even though you can see him because he's a giant seven foot German. Yeah, but he also jumps out with like arms akimbo and that sort mm. of like Rah! kind of way. And he bites off. Well, we don't know what he's done yet. Uh, Katrina runs to the caravan, and everyone is like, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" And she turns around classically to go, "Andy," and she's only holding his severed hand. So she thought that her uh, erstwhile partner had transformed to be the weight of a hand. <laughs> So the, she was running so quickly. Maybe that all the blood had rushed to his penis. Yeah. <laughs> he became very lightweight to carry. Like, that's absolutely insane. Not only that, but he before she took off, he had actually let go of her hand, and you can see that. So it's a, actually a continuity error as well. Yes. So I mean, the more you think about this movie, there's loads of bits which are just unrealistic, and that to me really just pops me out of the psychodrama. Also, when you do see a close-up of that, it looks like a very old man's hand, a chubby old man hand. <laughs> it looks like it was chopped off six weeks ago. Yeah, it looks like one of those of... in Spitting Image when they used to put the hands on. To, to, to hold oh, yeah, yeah. It looked like one of them. Yeah, or like everyone, or Thunderbirds, they do the same thing where they, yes. they'd be at the piano. Yeah, yeah. big, uh, fairy, very Richard Keyes hands. <laughs> um, they but, didn't have any hand models on set. But at the same time, Howard has decided to have a wander in the woods, as you do, to have yeah. a cigarette. 
Yeah. And then he sees, and another bit that scared me was a child, Rawhead on top of the uh, hill. Again, dare I uh, give it a bit of uh, a praise, but uh, that was pretty standing bolt upright but motionless and mm. not in a scary posture. No. That was quite that was quite affecting. Looking right at Howard, Let's holding look, a severed head. Looking kind of Michael Hutchinson as well. We haven't actually described that he's wearing leather yeah. pants. So it's it kind of looks like uh, someone from the Mad Max. Yes, it does. Like pointy shoulder pads. And kind of. Not, yeah, but there's there are like uh, leather straps that go crisscrossing on the boots and stuff. And he's it's very hard to work out exactly what the era or culture or idea behind I'd it is. I'd say it was the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> That's when he got buried. <laughs> he, like, he, he was buried. And just he was buried like four and a half months. Before he was in the this. glitter band. Yeah, that's right. And he was probably more problematic than Gary. So they <laughs> if had you him could buried. even imagine, yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously, Hallenbeck's terrified. Um, so the caravan site decide to go out looking for Andy, and they find Mr. Farmer in a tree. Your mate's dad. They do, which is very sad. And they're all like, "Oh my god!" And then they turn around and then they see Andy's guts all over the floor. They do, um, and uh, they're still. They're, understandably they're quite shocked but they don't this is always a problem I have with these kinds of movies hmm. they're shocked but they don't seem as shocked as you would be no they're not as ca- they're not like completely screaming vomiting catatonic because when people do do that in films it's actually really annoying hmm. um, so there are films which do have realistic reactions to people but it's it's actually just not very cinematic to have people like literally vomiting and like uh, screaming and passing out so it's, if you were living on a caravan site where two people were found dead would you go back to your caravan and just have a chat? Yeah. Or, or, be, or, or be telling a scary story that yeah. kept being interrupted. And people are like, shh, what's that? Stop. You had, stop it. We need to hear the rest of the story. <laughs> like, uh, literally 14 minutes ago, <laughs> two people were disemboweled. Yeah. Like, three seconds. Well, they also say when they find Andy's guts, one of them says, oh, they've taken it. It's taken his head. <laughs> so his head's gone. And that's when we see Howard, Howard sees him holding it. Oh, which presumably God. he's going to make love to. Yeah. Well, I'd and like to why imagine not? so. Yeah. I bet Clive wrote that in. Yeah. <laughs> in brackets, and he makes up to the head. Clive, we're not filming that bit. But it's important about his character. Uh, yeah. It's That's it. I'm directing my next one. <laughs> He's going to do a six hour long re edit. Um, so we, 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 we cut to the next day. So we're on the next day now. And we're at the scene of the first farmer's death. The very famous stage actor. Oh, yeah. Donald McCann. We've we found his dead body now. We, we, it's, it's very clear that Rawhead Rex has killed him. Uh huh. We didn't think that he hadn't. For some reason, they've only chosen to show that now. But they, the police, have found it, and they don't—they're not connecting everything yet. No, and it, that's another thing that really annoys me—a trope of these kinds of movies, and pretty much all movies. Mm. I have increasingly less and less tolerance as I get older for uh, characters on screen catching up with information that the viewer knows. Yeah, um, I can't—I think I remember the first time I realised I really was done with it was in whatever season of. Breaking Bad it was where Skyler still didn't know and he, she was oh she's going to find the phone and she says this is you know not really a spoiler but any show like that where someone's got a secret I don't actually care I want that to get out of the way straight away and in this one not only do the police not know but by the time they do know it's completely immaterial to the plot and pointless yeah. the police should not be in this film no they ap- offer absolutely nothing absolutely nothing we'll get to this <laughs> absolutely nothing it, it, if we know it serve no purpose if, I mean if they weren't in it it wouldn't affect anything no because you don't even see them piecing anything together every no. bit of information they get is from some crazy rambling person in their eyes coming in and telling them something which they don't believe talking of which Howard goes to the police station and he says I want to th- I saw something last night I'm not sure what it is and they're like oh okay what is it and he goes well what I saw wasn't human mm. and the policeman says 
Uh, and he says it was about eight foot tall. And then he goes, oh, it was, you saw some cattle. All right, I know how this sounds. Believe me, I, I know. But I saw it. Was this on the road? No, no. I was in a road. It was uh, uh, up a field. Cattle, then. You saw cattle. Oh, I know what cattle look like, for Christ's sake. Darkness can be deceptive. <laughs> that was actually... That was actually really funny. Yeah. That was like a prop that was a really good sort of like a Father Ted style joke where could it have been some cattle? Yeah. <laughs> you sure it was are you sure it wasn't a, like five wasps from a distance? <laughs> the dark can be very <laughs> deceptive. <laughs> Did he actually say the dark can be very deceptive? Dark can be very deceptive. <laughs> I actually missed that quote. Uh yeah, they're yeah, it's just a it's a nonsense of a scene. You're just like, oh, I right, get to the end, okay. Because one of them's gonna be proven right. We know which one. My theory is is that Clive Barker's watched an American Wolf in London when he's written this because the two policemen are very similar to the two policemen from America. Yes. In and also feeds into my point as well of taking a big sort of horror trope and putting it in a sort of a nondescript kind of place. Mm-hmm. Uh or like a place where you wouldn't expect it at least. Yeah. Um and maybe trying to play it for laughs, like in American Werewolf. And mm. if you it works that way but if you try and do it like with really sheer blank horror it just ends up being like bumbling keystone cops kind of thing also this, the, the soundtrack to this film sounds exactly like the soundtrack to American Wolf in London does it? I don't mean with pop songs but the actual score sounds like it's from American Wolf do you know what I've noticed is because uh, I love score and mm-hmm. really really always notice it I did not notice a note of this score because I was listening to uh uh, I was listening to someone review it then and then I didn't say the score was terrible. I was like, Jesus, I can't even remember. It's only in it a few times. Um, it's very rare. That bits that would with happen. Howard and his family mainly, but the bit we're coming up to where they leave town and drive off, you get this sweeping score as they're driving down the countryside. It sounds exactly like the score from... Oh, this is, uh, sorry, Red is that when they're driving to Dublin? On the yeah. straight road to Dublin? Yes, yeah, right, the yeah. straight road to Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> the signs all say to Dublin. Um, but yeah, so Howard tells the police they don't believe him. Because um, he sounds like a fucking maniac, basically. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to hold it against them. Um, so Howard then finds out the parish records are gone. Holy fuck! And the verger smashes his camera. Yeah, that was actually uh, it was a bit of menace. I mean, again, we're talking about the very overacting performance by mm. Ross Wilmot, David Wilmot, David. Can't remember who uh, Declan. Declan's played by Declan's actually called Declan in the book, by the way. Is he? Unexpectedly, but Declan Ewan, not Declan O'Brien. I wonder why they changed it, to protect the innocent. I think it was, uh, (laughs) in memory of the dead. Uh, But they also had... uh, They also had... Everyone else in the in the original was uh, sort of like English, and the whole idea was that they were commuters. Oh, of course, because it's they, not based in Ireland. But they were yeah. English commuters, so mm. that was like the that was like the outsiders kind of thing, and it was people building up, you know, uh, refurbishing land that wasn't theirs. Whereas here, that f- that function is performed by maybe an American coming and overstepping his mark or something. So yeah, it doesn't really quite track. It would work better in England with the. Yeah, sort of uh, modern uh, ignoramuses interrupting an ancient evil. Mm. Uh, here, it's just like it's just a farmer trying to move a something that's on his land, and it's not. Also, like you say, in Ireland, you've got the whole religious it's thing that's there. so big there, whereas it's not as big here, and you could get away with what they're doing. Yeah, completely. Yeah, you whereas there, it's a bit of an elephant in the room, isn't it? Yeah, and also there's weirdly even in very very Catholic communities in 
uh, in Ireland if you were to remove what's known as a fairy tree which is basically just a tree that's fallen on its side and it grows upwards because mm-hmm. of well the influence of the sun yeah. uh, but they they're, can be very striking they look very striking mm. and also hill mounds and hill forts basically they're old sort of pagan sort of mystical things if you mm. were to remove them or get pla- you can't get planning permission or people would refuse to build on it and people would refuse to like the builders that you could hire in even if you got planning permission would refuse to build on a fairy fort or whatever wow. because some part of the old wisdom still lives with us so it's there it's ripe to be used mm. again some other time but maybe not this time or maybe those trees have all got a raw head rex under they've them all, everyone, they've all got our raw head our raw head rex or our jaws yeah or raw head resses this is like matrices you have to turn the x into an es raw head reginas <laughs> oh yes that's in, in this if ghostbusters are girls now what next what huh? next Clive Barker would like that they sound like vagina as well. He would love that so much. That would be his favourite. He would, except he probably <laughs> doesn't know. Um, so Howard and the family leave, as we were saying, on the straight road to Derry, uh, with this American Wealth and London score playing in the background. And uh, your famous Irish lady says that she gotta go pee. Yeah. She's absolutely adorable, actually, in that yeah, performance. She says, she, gotta, she has to go pee. So she goes and pees in a... I, mean, I have to say that was done incredibly, incredibly realistically. Yeah. I know many, many a trip... Uh, with my uh, ten brothers and sisters, uh, ten brothers and sisters. I've got ten brothers and sisters, and we used to travel in a, in a, a sort of a white Talbot van that my dad drove, probably with some chagrin, but you know, mm-hmm. it's needs must. Yeah, uh, it was either that or strapping us to the roof of a Volvo 240 that he used to use for shorter trips. Not acceptable. Not acceptable in this no. day and age. No. Although Mike Huckabee did do that, uh, or Mitt Romney, sorry, Mitt Romney, Mike Huckabee's son uh, killed a dog. Killed a dog, yeah. But yeah. Mitt Romney's family, when they went on vacation. They taped the dog to the roof. Jesus Christ. That's right. So there you Do go. you know um, Huckabee's son killed a dog? you know who else killed a dog? Who? Michael Myers. Oh, did he? <laughs> he had the first Halloween, the original. Was it him or was it his mom? He killed a dog Jason and then later on they find dog bits in the house and um, Loomis says he must have got hungry. Oh. So and he, his, the idea that that started off his path of killing was like being cruel to animals. Yeah. Um, but yes, I remember from my childhood that mm. was the main thing. Uh, my dad would definitely sell, pull over the side of the road and tell me to go off and uh, pee in a bush or something like that. Mm. And then obviously, what would happen is like two or three of you would end up because you know he's not going to stop twice. We were never then subsequently chased, however, by a rawhead rex. A rawhead rex. Or did you see any dead rabbits? No, but that was a nice little sort of uh, misdirection. I think this scene's done really well. I think it is because he is. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't need to go as well. But the wife and the husband go to because the little girl screams. I don't know why the wife went, but then that's only because I I know what was coming next, and they didn't. But the way that the raw, the arrowhead wreck attacks his son, um, which is horrible. It's horrible. Um, but it's also quite. It's like you were saying about coming towards in the kitchen. It's the fact that that's exactly what it would look like. It would look kind of awkward with the mm. the arm coming in and really try and making a meal of it. And usually in a movie when it seems like it's effortful for the villain to do something, that means there'll be just a second. That's basically giving you shorthand that mm. this is not going to happen. Yeah. But no, it just takes him a while, but he does. End up. And you've got the nice <laughs> conceit of the style that he can't quite get through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it style? What they call yeah, it? A, a bridal uh, thing. Style, uh, bridal gate. Sometimes they're called a kissing gate. Kissing gate. Thank As you, you go past you yeah, I think it's the idea. Lovely. Um, um, so he can't quite... But basically, Roy Rex appears in daylight, which again, as a child, I thought was terrifying. Yeah, it was Grabs actually. a small child from the back of a car and devours him. <laughs> and then when Howard tries to chase him, he can't get out there in time. Yeah. And that's a beautifully acted bit, I think, the way he just stops and screams. Yeah, and also the fact that for the rest of the movie, you kind of forget that he is like just... He's literally just seen his child killed. Mm. Um, and obviously, when you're 
in the context of the movie, you think, oh, he's going to get revenge. I mean, in real life, you'd literally just be a stumbling, vomiting wreck. Yeah. You know, just incapable of doing anything. And his wife <clears> and <throat> his daughter are just left to mourn. grieve and mourn yeah. the son while he goes off on his hellbent in revenge against this gigantic creature, which did she see or did only uh, he see? He, he only, only he saw. So they probably don't believe him. No. You see, I think there is a plot there in a modern film where they'd probably suspect that he did it, wouldn't they? Oh, complete! Oh, massive! Yeah, the, yeah. It's Christopher Eccleston, and every, mm. he says that he—he's—it was a monster, but actually, it turned out, you know, the, his whole family and the community think that like he's been murdering children himself. Good God! There we go. Like the Babadook. Like, I, I, yeah, I'm guessing. <laughs> um. So yeah. So the police have a sketch of Rex from the child at the caravan park. Oh, we cut to that. It's pretty amazing. That he goes, uh, the, the, the child at the caravan park, he's catatonic, but we gave him some crayons to play with and he did this sketch <laughs> and uh, it's a wonderful drawing of Rawhead Rex. With yeah, the red it's eyes. amazing. Uh, and it looks just like a dog with a mullet, which does. effectively so does Rawhead Rex. So, yeah. um, so the police, uh, Howard then goes to the police, as you would if your son had just been murdered by a seven-foot German. And um, he does a sketch as well of what Rex is like. And you know what? It matches to the caravan kid. Ooh. And uh, and the policeman says, "Look, we know how you feel. <laughs> you got no goddamn idea how I feel. My son was just murdered by this giant German." <laughs> so Howard then leaves his wife and child there and races to the church, and the verger uh, tells him he was buried alive. <laughs> he was buried alive, <laughs> and starts to reveal that there's this monster on the loose. But Which we know about. Right? At, this, at this point, the Verger hasn't... We haven't been given any... We've been given an inkling that he seems to be kind of cool with Rawhead Rex. Yeah. Uh, but nothing concrete. Because I think it, by this point in the uh, in the book and the novel, it's kind of... You get a little bit of his fascination or his excitement before this point. So this kind of seems strange. He was being weird with your man, but that could have been like, this is a local place for local people. Yeah, yeah. You know, get out of our church. Hmm. But now we start to see this that actually... Mr. Verger really, really likes Riot Rex. Yeah, so he's um, he's uh, sort of sexually excited or enthralled. He's kind of like he's in awe. He is in awe, but yeah, it's like a godlike. He's he's in, in he thinks of him as his uh, something. He's he's worshiping him actually more. Yeah, uh, but he doesn't really know anything about him. It it seems it seemed odd that he's he's got nice buttocks. <laughs> <laughs> that's enough <laughs> uh, but then Howard triggers um, triggers or realises that the stained glass windows the, the priest mentioned to him in passing earlier I think that the windows were put in in the wrong order when they were put back yeah, yeah. I don't know why they were to be cleaned or something oh uh, yeah probably for renovations yeah yeah. and then Howard realises that the, the, you can de- you can see in the windows how Rawhead Rex was defeated last time you can and there is somebody holding a statue some sort of a small statue that would seem to hold uh, the killer blow, mm. um, and is it at this point that he discovers where said statue is, or is that later mm, on? Let's have a look. Um, no, 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 he that's, doesn't. That's, well, that's later on the final. No, he he takes p- Polaroids of them, and he yes. leaves. And then at this point, Coot uh, wanders into the church and touches the table, and this is when he burns his hand. Now here's the other thing: Are we to believe that this is the first time he's ever done this? Yeah. In a church where he clearly has more experience of the place than... He is just not a very curious man. Yeah, than this muggle who's like, you know, presumably like just making teas until he gets to pass his, you know, his NVQ in uh, being a, a canon or whatever. 
So it doesn't. It seems weird, but or maybe it was because they removed the the doily, the doily, yeah, or the by the code. I mean, that's a pretty powerful doily. (laughs) That's a pretty powerful tablecloth if it's actually restricting the malevolent influence of a giant glowing. I wonder if when they whip it out and the candles are still there and they're all like, (laughs) hey, (laughs) or can you can you light a fag off it? I bet you can. <laughs> but the yeah, I mean, I suppose when you're God's guy, you're just not naturally curious about tables. That's true. Yeah, you. Feel, I mean, you know, you're you're willing to accept all sorts of things on faith, including that table will always all be there. S- all sorts we won't get into. That table is probably probably pretty cold, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. sweet. Does his job. Holds <laughs> the candles. That's all I need to know. Um, so uh, so we then cut back to Rawhead's favourite place, the caravan park, and basically Rawhead kills the flying pickets, and. <laughs> All of Alfredo's own pet, because that's what they all look like. <laughs> There's a bloke in the first caravan where they get killed. You know, like you were saying, he's like, I want to hear the story. Yeah, he looks like a werewolf. He's got this like mullet, black mullet, big sideburns. I mean, like I said, huge eyebrows. I mean, again, I go back to Dylan Moore's description of Irish people. Uh, you know, even Irish babies look like they've had a decent stab at a rugby career. And my bloody hell, it's like whenever you see. You see any footage of Ireland before about 1997, and it might as well be from 1943, you literally can only tell by the grain of the footage, and even then only slightly, because as we can see, the grain in this is literally like, you know, the birth of cinema. (laughs) It's like the lenses are like made from potato skin and gravel. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then you also have, uh, you know, these people who just got faces that you just don't see anymore. Yeah. You know, like sloping brows, very weird facial hair. They're all wearing like a tracksuit top with like pinstripe trousers, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. just really yeah. rough. I mean, it's absolutely rough on the eyes from every angle. Not to mention the fact that a little bit like, you know, only fools and horses when they used to go outside when it goes from shooting on video film. to film. Yeah. And film is not your friend and the atmospheric conditions perhaps endemic to Ireland. No. So everything looks like it is in a sort of a, a grey soup mm-hmm. of, you know, of complexion destroying gas. Yeah. You know, everyone is just looks awful, looks blotchy, looks terrible. And um, yeah, those people were, it's probably, all right, this is going to be a big statement and people can come after me with the PC brigade. It's good that they died. <laughs> <laughs> it is, they the, weren't. Sh- they were uh, just a absolutely dribblesome cabal of grotesques and i'm glad i'm glad that they died because we need more pretties we do here. we need more we need more people here there's some lovely gorgeous. adr here when the caravan when rawhead tips over the caravan the old man you can't see his face his mouth but you hear him say oh how are we going to get out of here oh i'll open the window <laughs> uh, but then raw yeah so rawhead attacks the whole caravan camp and then because he's a misogynist he, he rips out a woman and gets her tits out he and d- looks at them that's the most gratuitous tit shot in, like, I think I've, I've ever seen. Had he not, had you know, what happens to Rawhead later had happened, then he would be very much in the Me Too oh, category. Massively. For I mean, his behaviour. This was, this was the moment when I was thinking, you know, Rawhead Rex is cancelled. Mm. Because he, up until this point, I was like, okay, he's from a different culture. Yeah. We have to respect other people's cultures. Yes. His truth is not my truth. That's right. But when he did that gratuitous boob shot. Mm. It made me think of all the times I had personally trusted Rawhead Rex <laughs> and he had not stood up to that. Uh, no, it's really, really gratuitous. And also, it, it, se- it seemed almost <laughs> like an obligation. It had this sort of loveless bang of, we can put in this 
uh, th- this is the thing that like 15 year old boys will watch and say oh and by the way there's a t-, you know it's it's like a calling card there has to be it's like all those movies that ended up having people shooting with two guns yeah yeah or uh, like in the 80s like Lowe's Police Academy had like the shower scene shower scenes and lap dance scenes and all that stuff you know how I knew it was coming because in this particular caravan you've got an old man you've got the man who looks like from the flying pickets you've got another one who looks like he should be looking after a carnival and this woman who looks like a page three mod yeah and you're thinking she doesn't belong here <laughs> And we know why, because she was there to get her tits out. Yeah, well, how do you know that, like, you know, comely young Irish maidens don't spend all the time hanging out with lads who look like they're arranging a dog fight? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's exactly it. You don't know her. You no. don't know her story or no. her truth. No, uh, but yeah, I don't no. want to now. Very, very gratuitous. Well, yeah, no use. But he it. doesn't kill her because she's a woman. Yeah, so... He just likes her, he likes to admire her form. It's kind of it's it's hard though to realize exactly work out exactly. Is he at this stage protective of, or scared of? And so I think obviously we, we come to realize it's one of the two. But earlier on as well with the pregnant lady, it was like, oh, does he? Is that his? He's so his soft of heart. He can't. He couldn't possibly kill a pregnant woman. When mm. in fact it turns out at the end, it's very much the opposite. It's of much that. like in Predator Two. Oh, does that happen in Predator 2 that he sees Yeah, it? he gets a woman and he's about to kill her and he does a scan on her stomach and you see that she's pregnant and he lets her go. And then he like prints out something and says, your child has type 2 diabetes. <laughs> you want to get that checked? It's sickle cell. It's uh, a boy. God damn it, I wanted to wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. No, that he, man said he, he, shoot, he shoots out like some pink uh, or some blue, depending. He does one of those like gender reveals, which are, by the way, some of the most obnoxious stuff that you can find oh. uh, in the world. Uh he ruins her baby shower by blowing it <laughs> up. <laughs> he does. And also by just, you know, turning every single person around them into a, like a gelatinous husk of frayed, flayed skin. Um, the Predator 2 has got that one good scene, though, where they're in the kind of the meat locker place. And he yeah. they think that because they think that's the only way that he can see when actually he's got like a little dial. He's got loads of different yeah. settings. Yeah. He does. He's like a... He's like, a, he's a, like an Instagram. He is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is one that just gives you big anime eyes. Yeah. So, the police arrive at the caravan camp. A caravan club. Yeah. Everybody gets some. <laughs> uh, that's what Rex says. Yeah, which people are still going to despite as well all these murders, yeah. But the policeman says, oh, uh, stop, we're going to turn around and go the other way for some reason. And they turn around and then Rex appears at the car and he goes, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> it's that thing we've seen at least seven or eight different drawings of now. Oh, yeah. and by the way, it is immortalized on stained glass in like the church in the village so yeah. maybe just maybe we're starting to put things together here but it's the wonderful thing of a film being in Ireland you wouldn't get any other film if someone goes oh Jesus Christ <laughs> when they see a monster <laughs> and it, Rex picks him up and rather than killing him he obviously thinks this guy's like I like Kojak also pregnant also yeah. pregnant he hypnotises him to be his oh, servant yeah I, that one like, so was we it? see his cross eyes go all red. So he was hypnotizing in that instant because I wasn't and he sure. Goes, if... Yes, yes, something like that. And then, how did that? Uh, how did that? Like, I wasn't sure that he'd been hypnotized or if he was like. Well, being, being we'll get to that. Why? Yeah. We'll get to why in a bit. Um, so then, Coot is in the church and he goes outside because he's hearing some commotion, and then we get the famous scene of yes. uh, Rawhead baptizing Virgil Declan. Yeah, and uh, baptizing with a stream of his uh, his piss. Yeah, uh, while he's pissing, he's kind of going, yeah. 
Because I know what that's like when you're really busting. Oh, when you're absolutely need to go. Yeah. When I, you're racing up the stairs to the toilet and then you finally get in and you think it's going to come out and then you finally wee, you're like, ah, oh, that's what Roy is doing. But it's also like Zeno's paradox. Whenever you're actually getting closer and closer to the door, like say you've had a bus bus journey, the closer you get, the more painful it is and the longer it seems that you've got until you get to your destination. Yeah. So if a verger gets in the way and mm. you're just dying to go, now, it should be pointed out that this is done very much with the Berger, Verger's, uh, not just consent, but enthusiasm. enthusiasm so yeah. he's ripping his vestments apart. He's, yeah. uh, you know, kind of rubbing himself and everything. Uh, in the graphic novel, this is done, and it was really, really disturbingly described, and the smells are described, and he actually laps it up and, lick and drinks it and everything. As an 11-year-old, I was like, mm. um, But this was uh, uh, on screen. It's very far away. I think they kind of didn't have the courage of their convictions. No. So maybe they were trying to ameliorate things by having uh, having a slight distance from the... I've misremembered that you see Rawhead's penis. I also thought that you did. Mm, because you I'd don't. seen it on some... Like I said, that torrent on TV or something like this that. Would be like if they, this would be if the camera moved slightly, Rex would be holding a hose, like in a comedy film. Yeah. Like, oh, he's just having yeah. a hose. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, like, yeah, there's like something in front of them that makes it look like it's his willy. Uh, no, he, uh, he's got some pressure, by the way. Mm. I mean, I suppose he hasn't, I presume, we haven't actually seen him pizza up. a thousand years. Yeah. But he hasn't had much to drink either. It's like that beginning bit of Austin Powers, you know, where he's been frozen, <laughs> except he's on a verger. But I've written down here because the priest sees it. It's enough to put a chap off his psalms. Did he actually say that? No, I just oh. thought it would be better if he'd have said it. Um, Why did I believe and, and then say that? Sorry, it would have been a much better bit. It was oh. enough to put a chap... He was a comedian. He would have been funny <laughs> delivery as well. Neil Tobin just like cracking out one-liners. And, uh, did that make it in? So, uh, it's not really what we're looking for, Neil, but um, we'll what, get back to you in the edit. What about if I trip over... <laughs> What if I'm on a unicycle as I'm running away from him? Um, so Rex runs into the church and the verger says, um, oh, the verger comes in and goes, he wants to baptise you too. Yeah. Not the band. Not the band. <laughs> of him much later. Uh, yeah, and he, um, at this point, it doesn't. it's not clear whether the verger is against Coot or not because I, th- I, I wasn't sure what was going on. I think he's against him. But at that point, he's like, here, join me. Yeah, true. Yeah, but uh, Neil Tobin's too busy, like, trying to come up with uh, clever jokes about uh, Rawhead's dick. I wouldn't piss on him if he was on fire. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't get many of those in a biscuit tin. <laughs> this is very much like the end of Return of the Jedi, but with urine. It is, yeah. yeah. Um, it's too late for me, son. <laughs> Please get pissed on by this guy. So you want this, don't you? That then develops into a fairly, again, uh, shall we say... Uh, lacklusterly paced chase away where he goes into like a little vestry kind of area yeah, which is and kind Rex of like, goes into his office and smashes it up yeah but then it says that Rex, Rex is scared of going into the church proper well they do a Salem's lot don't they because you remember in Salem have you seen the Salem's lot film oh, I don't think I have seen it no. well there's a bit where the master who's like the chief vampire is confronted with a crucifix oh okay and they're like oh and then the master kind of pretends for a second like oh no and then he just grabs it and crushes it and Rex does the same here because the priest Coot holds up the crucifix and he says, you're scared to come into yeah. God's house. And Rex acts like, oh God, I'm terrified. And then he just walks in and crashes, crashes the cross. Yeah, because I quite like that, that it was just a, like a, a fakey, faking mm. out. Um, but it also, it didn't, it didn't seem very likely that he would be scared because he's, you know, he's, you know, pissing on a verger. I mean, he's not, he's clearly not too enthralled to religious symbolism. Oh, this is also, this bit contains my favourite line reading ever. Okay. 
when Coot says to the verger, what do you think he's going to do to you? And he goes, kill me, I hope! <laughs> and then he says, get up those stairs, fuckface. <laughs> no, 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 Texan, wait, wait, Texan, wait, think, think. It doesn't care about you. When it's finished with you, what will it do with you? Kill me, I hope. Declan, for the love of God. Upstairs, fuck face. I can't keep God waiting. Come on! <laughs> the line readings are incredible from oh, that actor. I hope. Oh, it's amazing. Oh. So Rex, <laughs> Rex grabs the priest and then he throws him at some police cars that have turned up. Meanwhile, Kojak, seeing that they're all getting ready to shoot. Now, they all, they've all got guns, all these guards. They do, and they've got, like, sort of mismatched guns. So one guy's got yeah. a rifle, another one's got, like, some... Submachine like, gun. gun. Submachine gun kind of thing. And then uh, there's all the little naughty little sort of, like... And loads wild of villagers have pistols. turned up to watch. Yeah. And one we, of them... One that's of very them, realistic. That would definitely happen. <laughs> just get the people back. And you get this little Irish policeman going, hey, get back now, would you? It's just, a, it's just a monster holding a priest. What's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> so, uh, they're all saying, why don't we fire... And he says, oh, we might hit the old man. Hey, he's dead already. But they don't fire. Meanwhile, Kojak, because he's hypnotised, goes back to the car, gets all the petrol that's in the back of the police car, as it should be, mm-hmm. and pours it all over the floor and sets fire to it. So all the policemen get blown up. Oh, yeah, that's right. I've completely forgot about the explosion. Yeah. And then Kojak runs into the fire, goes on fire, runs up to Rex and goes, for you, for you. Now, he should have pissed on him and put him out. Ah. Uh- I didn't put that together that that's what was happening. Yeah. Right, okay. It's because I've seen this about 70 times. Wow, so. okay. Well, I would just watch this this morning and I didn't. Wow. Okay, because I, I th- that had completely passed me by. Mm. Wow, what a, no, I like the movie. It's really deep and layered. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Fuck he's face. Now, he should have weed on him to put him out, but instead he watches him burn to death. I mean, he's not the most grateful, really, is he? No. Oh. No, uh, but I'm, I've written down here. They must have. Been, there's a lot of burn stunts going on here. There must have been every burn stunt man in Ireland. Uh, yeah, there was uh, quite a lot of those. About ten of them all running around <laughs> on fire. I'm not saying there's only ten burn stunt men in Ireland, by the <laughs> but way. But you probably need four or five of them per person, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so then Howard turns up after the carnage, goes into the church. Everybody's dead, pretty much, apart from Coot, mm. who's alive long enough to sort of mumble something about the artifact. Yeah. And what I enjoyed here. Is that when Coop passes away, you know, he goes, Ugh. if you watch, his stomach's still breathing. <laughs> you can see it going up and down constantly. I did that, like, constantly in my childhood. I was always looking at dead people in movies to mm. see when they moved. It's my favourite thing ever. Well, if you look at Coot, you'll see his belly going up and down when he's supposed to be dead. <laughs> um, so Howard rushes into the church. Him and the verger have a fight. The verger starts strangling him to death. Now, he must stink as well, the verger, at this point. I mean, he's, yeah, because, I mean, it's... I mean, it's not just piss. It's really old sort of dog mullet man, thousand-year-old. Thousand-year-old piss. Yeah. Which sounds like an album. By, by dog mullet man. Dog mullet man. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, so uh, Howard hits him back with a flaming book, which I'm guessing must be the Bible or something, because he, he reacts like, No, it's oh! Bravo to Zero. It's what? Bravo to Zero oh, by Andy McNabb. No. Randy McNabb. <laughs> which actually improves with every read. Um <laughs> Uh, no, uh, yeah, I presume it is the Bible or something. I'm assuming because the way he reacts, and then afterwards he's still clutching his face. Yeah, like he's been burnt Ooh, by the religion. Sword, not my cheek. Ah, religion. Yeah. <laughs> Words. Uh, and then Howard uh, opens the chest, and at first it hurts him. He, he gets burned as well. And we see the first cut is the again. deepest. Hmm? The first cut is the deepest, of course. Well, exactly. 
They wrote this after seeing that this film. Um, so then Howard manages to open it, and inside is the artifact, which looks like a lovely pregnant woman. Uh-huh. And um, he runs out to Rex, and uh, the verger comes out, says to Rex, you know, I brought him to you, or something like that. Yeah. And then Rex picks him up and starts biting his throat, and the verger's going, thank you! Oh, it's brilliant though as well, because he, he uh, leans into being bitten hmm. with so much joy mm. and overacting glee is a thing to behold so if you were to, I think if you were to watch any two bits it would be the bit where he says get up those stairs fuck face yeah. but also the bit where he goes ah, ah, ah. with this stream of blood stream of blood out. coming out of it but mm. he's like he's reacting to it like he's just he's just literally let rip a giant satisfying fart he's just mm. delighted with himself mm. that he's just been or in a thousand year old piss yeah or being covered in a thousand year old piss <clears throat> he has a terrible time in this film yes. it didn't really work out for him but he seems happy enough so if he's happy he enough. looks happier then than he did at the beginning mm, so that's true say he's gone on a journey yeah whenever he was getting all the snarky looks from the ladies in the church yeah fair yeah. enough horses for courses so Howard then triumphantly holds up the artifact yes nothing happens Rex swipes him to one side. Traditionally, he's he's mutilated people, but in this case, he swipes him to one side. He swipes Tinder style. Mm. Off he goes. Yep. Young people. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> so Howard's wife suddenly appears and says, oh my God. And also it's unclear up to this point that she has any idea that any of this is going on. And where's the daughter? Who's but looking after the daughter? Exactly. Um, maybe Hopefully the, she didn't leave him in the caravan. Yeah, yeah. Or, maybe, or just still, she's still in that in that hedge with the dead rabbit. Flying pickets are significant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <She had>, you. <laughs> she had... Uh, uh, so she picks up this object, but she seems to know exactly what she's doing with it. Yeah, exactly. She, yeah. So it's it's strange. It's like a Kate Bush video. Where well, she has seen the stained glass window in the script's defence. Has she seen... He she, showed her the Polaroids when they were in the police station. Okay, but that wouldn't mean anything to me. But I mean, I don't know if you'd be able to extrapolate from that. Oh, I should hold it at this angle. So when she does this, then mm. there is pretty much the only digital effect possibly in the entire movie. I'd say it's more optical. I suppose it's an optical effect, isn't yeah. it? Actually, but the, mo- the only one of those, one only big sort of optical effect. Yeah. Apart from the maybe the light coming in the stained and glass. there's lots of dodgy uh, blue screen skies that have been oh, optically inserted yeah. at the beginning when they there's do when there's thunderstorms. Yeah. <laughs> But they but yeah, have there's about three in the whole film. Spiral sort of things going around the dolmen, yeah. which are these sort of hinge-looking things. What we well, it's like it. a Jean-Michel Jarre concert. It's it is. Yeah. And then there's like sort of weird ropes of like toothpaste mist kind of stuff that kind of go around the place. And then it's all focused and concentrated. And as she's like bearing down on Rawhead, uh, you see Howard say, it had to be a woman. It was a woman. Yeah. Which, which was you know, nice of uh, him to do that for the script. Yeah. It's good, good of him to... We were confused. Yeah. This is like the man earlier. How am I going to get out of here? Well, I'll use the window. <laughs> uh, Rex then starts looking really ill, like he's got AIDS or something. He goes really shriveled and grey. Yeah. And um, he drops through a grave I about mean, 30 feet. Handy. What I kept thinking now as well, the stone goes with him. Goes with him, yeah. So what happens next time? They're fucked, really. But they'll never be here next time. He's oh. in the grave. It's over. It's done. It's so finished. He, he, not only does he fall in the grave, but loads of stones and stuff fall on top of him. They do. So what you're saying is, it's done. He's mm. fine. He's, he's gone. He's gone forever. And you know what? Mm-hmm. That was a good story, well told. A but hang on a minute. Oh, sorry. What? I'm sorry. I was, getting, I was just grabbing day, my bag. <laughs> I was putting my The next on. morning, boy from campsite, <laughs> caravan site, has gone to his brother Andy's grave. He sure has. With daffodils. Is yeah. that an Irish thing? 
I've seen daffodils and graves. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if that's an Irish thing. Okay. Yeah. I've never been to a non-Irish grave actually, so yeah, possibly. And he's walking away from his brother's grave, and suddenly uh, a model of Rex, let's say, to be generous, yeah, <laughs> comes out of the ground and goes. Or it kind of sits up. There's yeah. Kind of a sitting up effect rather yeah. than a plunging out of the earth. He might have just been doing sit-ups. <laughs> so I've got questions about this. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're clearly we're at the end of of, of our chat about this, but mm-hmm. it is odd. I have a feeling they're trying. They had they filmed that just in case it would work. Yeah, there is no place in that story for that ending. No, because not only does it not make sense, but it doesn't have the grammar of an ending because we've literally just 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 seen him die. Yeah, so there would need to actually be a little bit more wiping up. And also, his brother's funeral is very quick. Yeah, I mean clearly. Well, I mean the headstone and everything. So let's say. Let's say even that it was a week afterwards. Yeah, you'd want we, it like a six months later or something. And you'd kind of want a continuity from some of the characters. So you'd want to see, for example, people saying, well, that's that beyond us. You know, the tropes are that you basically have a little bit more shoe leather to get to the shock bit. There yeah. is charitably 35 seconds between the first death and the reemergence. Yes. Then cut to black credits. I'm just suggesting that that's not a very effective way of doing it. No, I think you're right. It doesn't work for what it's supposed to be doing. Which is annoying because it ruined, <clears throat> to then, I would have said this 8.8, 8.9 movie. So Out of out of six? Out of 6,000. Yeah. yeah. Oh, out of 6,000. Yeah. Oh. Um, I thought you were saying out of five. How did it uh, How did it hold up to your uh, your idea of it from when you were a younger man? I mean, were there still bits of it that had the power to thrill and chill? No, I just find it funny now. Yeah. I have a lot of affection for it because of how it affected me. But I just enjoy it for what it is now. I think it's just fun. Yeah, I think it is as well. Mm. And it is funny that it. Uh, I did then see whenever I was doing research afterwards, it has gotten that so bad it's good, or at least so bad that it's famous for being bad yeah. reputation. Um, so you know, and that, there was talk of a remake as well. There wasn't, was there? Yeah, I can't believe they remastered it. I no, mean, no, I was very. I, I can believe how excited I was. Can you I imagine what that. it looks like on Blu-ray. Oh I had God. it on DVD for years. I had it on video, then DVD for years, and I never ever thought it would come out on Blu-ray. <laughs> and it's not only come out on Blu-ray; it's been remastered. These are the days. Yeah. These are those days they never told us. So I'd like to put on record, thank you, Arrow Video, for doing oh, that. I word. was so excited when they did that. But anyway, so yeah. So did you enjoy it? I did. I did. I did indeed. I think I found it a bit more. Um, a bit more leaden and plodding than I was expecting. Hmm. Um, and also a little bit more humorously uh, underdeveloped. So there's plenty of bits of it where you can kind of see that the budget is talking. Yeah. Like, it'll never not be funny seeing, you know, two police officers, even in a small Irish town, hmm. in a literally a prefabricated hut that's... Yeah you know about the size of a postage stamp where they're both all they're all both every single shot there's a corner in sight that's how small it is yeah you know you never see just a, a full wall um and yeah they they gave it their best mm-hmm. i don't think the budget was there no and also i'm very happy that 18 year old heinrich von schellendorf got to meet you two and got to work out beside uh the edge and adam clayton and adam clayton was the nice one and the edge is also nice. Bono mostly kept himself. Yeah. It's a beautiful story. <laughs> right. Well, we've reached the point of the podcast where I ask quick fire questions. Okay. And in this instance, they're going to be spooky quick fire questions. OMG. So hold on to your hat. hat. You're not wearing one. Uh, so, what's the spookiest thing you've ever seen or heard? Spookiest thing I've ever seen or heard? Um, 
uh, I'm from Derry, where there is actually uh, uh, a massive Halloween festival. And so every year there used to be a contest for people to write a scary story called the Spooker Prize. Oh, which brilliant. Well, it was for children. It was, you know, for I like it, though. It's good. And uh, one time we went to the old Foyle Valley Railway and we all got to uh, sort of com- compete. My friend Chris won the whole competition. Um, but that was probably pretty, that was pretty good. And How did Wizard get on? Uh, <laughs> he didn't get. A, he didn't get a look in. God bless him. Uh, but yes, I've never seen a ghost. No, or I even had as particularly like sort of spooky experience or anything like that. I do regret it though, because as much as I am a uh, very skeptical, I think I'd like to have had a little experience. I'll tell you one thing that did happen once. Mm. One day, we woke up in October or November day, and just whatever had happened, there was cobwebs over the entire field in front of our house. There'd been like a rain of spiders. Wow. Um, which occasionally happens sometimes if the atmospheric conditions are right. Jeez. And the entire, it was just this really horrible sort of like a grey mist of cobwebs that was over all of the all of the bushes and all of the trees. Jeez. Um, very, very weird. Very, very creepy. What's your favourite spooky film? Favourite spooky film? Um, I don't like scary films. I like, as in, I'm a, like a total Nambi Pambi Pansy about them. Mm-hmm. In fact, actually, that house, a uh, haunted hill house, so yeah. the haunting of hill house, I realised how bad I was because I watched one, I was writing about it, I watched one episode and then I uh, quickly just went to Wikipedia to see what happened next because I was being engrossed in the, 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 uh, in the actual film show, but I actually find it so scary that I couldn't. So, yeah, trying to, yeah, that's it. Rawhead Rex. Rawhead Rex, <laughs> brilliant, okay. If you could invent a spooky film, what would the title be? Who would be in it and what would it be about? Uh, Rawhead 2, The Glistening. Nice. So um, this is just where you go to like uh, his larder and you see all of the, the guts that he didn't get around to eating. Um, just glistening there with dew. I thought you meant glistening because he's being a penis. That's also with yeah. yeah, subtext, my friend. A homonym. Yeah. yeah. Who would win in a fight between a Rawhead Rex and a Hellraiser? Uh, Rawhead Rex mm. got to be yeah. yeah yeah. you know I'm going to rep his name he's he's done some good work here because bites can bite right but Rawhead can bite people's heads off can John Cenobite <laughs> good <laughs> he should, that's, that, that could be a comedy um, can't speak Hellraiser movie it could actually be yeah with a cameo at the end how many Hellraiser movies did they make god they made three official cinema ones Those and they've the done about 15 direct video ones to the point where the guy playing um, Pin had stopped doing them about four films ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And are you an aficionado for the work of Clive Barker or no, for this kind really. of stuff? Just I just watched them at the time. Movies. Okay. And finally, you are trapped on a desert island with a raw head Rex. <laughs> would you make friends, bearing in mind he'd probably wee on you, or would you try and kill him with traps and fire? Oh, 100% make friends. Would you? It's my favourite. Uh, I, I quite like that thing. It's one thing Pixar does very well. Uh, <laughs> Rawhead Rex. When you subvert subvert the uh, enemy dynamic so that you actually get them to be your friend. Yeah. Uh, Miyazaki does it very well as well in a lot of his movies. The original antagonist actually, you convince him, you talk him around, and then you become friends. Mm. It's really interesting. It's got dramatic arcs. It still has a great sort of arc to it. It's not like boring or anti-drama. And nobody does it. Western stuff never really does it. And Rawhead Rex certainly didn't do it. If they had all just decided to get together, Rawhead, just teach him, sorry, we're in, you know, a hashtag Me Too era. We can't mm. actually get along with this anymore. Yeah. Maybe he would have been, you know, get him a job in office services. Just give him a haircut. Did anyone try and talk to him? No, they no. didn't, did they? They ran. They screamed. Yeah. They, you know, were accepted his piss, sure. But did they accept his point of view? No. No, they didn't. 
Well, there's nothing else I can add to that. <laughs> there's nothing we can add to the history of film. Shame it's Great Snake Owl. Thank you so much for having me. Like, I don't have nightmares, children. I, I, I will absolutely do my absolute best not to. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.